Well, did I give you enough time to find Hebrews chapter 11? All right, we're actually going to start at the end of verse, chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. Say great reward. Great reward. Say it again, great reward. Your confidence has a great reward. So don't throw it away. That means the enemy knows that's what the enemy's after. For you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while he who is coming will not tarry or wait. Now the just, those who have been made just or righteous, shall live by faith. That's another reason to understand faith. You're saved by faith and now once you're saved, the Bible says you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. It takes faith to believe that. Takes faith some mornings to look in the mirror and say, you're the righteousness of God. Because I may not have felt like I acted like it the day before. But we're going to learn we don't go by our feelings. We go by what God's word says. The just shall live or by faith. And if anyone draws back, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to perdition. Look at that. That's serious stuff. But those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we've talked about that. Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Actually, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll back up a couple of verses. So we've talked about the fact that what faith is. Faith is, in order to, in order to believe something, you have to have evidence. Otherwise, it's what people call blind faith, and blind faith is foolishness. God does not require you to have blind faith. Faith, what, what, in order to believe something, we have to have something that gives us confidence, something, some kind of evidence or some kind of tangibility that gives us a reason to step out and believe it. And what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says is, is what gives us that confidence, what gives us that evidence, what gives us that tangibility when it comes to dealing with the spirit realm, which you can't see, is faith. Faith is what allows you to have the same level of certainty when it comes to dealing with the spirit realm that you can have when you're dealing with the natural realm. In fact, you can and should have greater confidence when you're dealing with that realm. But the problem is, we're trained to evaluate whether we can trust something by whether our five senses can detect it. We're trained to, to, to trust whether that blue chair is there by whether I see it. So if you come in Sunday morning and there are no chairs here, your eyes don't see any chairs, you're not going to sit down. Because your eyes don't verify that there's something to sit on. And when you get in your car to go home, you better rely on your natural senses. Because when they tell you those two lights coming down 195 you're about to pull out on is a semi-tractor trailer, you better believe what your eyes tell you. But that's because you're deciding something in this natural realm. But when it comes to evaluating or trusting or believing something that's not of this natural realm, that's of that other's other realm, that spirit realm, you cannot rely on your senses because they were not given to you to do that. You've got to understand what your five senses were given you to do. It's to navigate around in this natural life. 
But you've also been given a sixth sense that allows you to navigate around in that other realm, that spirit realm, and that sixth sense is faith. And that's what verse 1 of chapter 11 talks about. Now we go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or 5, but the end of chapter 4, really. And we see this. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. Now what Paul is talking about here is all the, all the persecution that he went through. Five times he was beaten with rods. Three times, I think it is. He was scourged the way Jesus was scourged. Several times he was shipwrecked in the ocean. Once he spent several nights in the ocean. In addition to that, he was persecuted. He was stoned. He was kicked out of cities. He was even kicked out of some churches he founded. Everywhere he went, Paul's own testimony is that Satan had sent a messenger to buffet him or oppose him. Then he said on top of that is the cares of the churches, whether they were going to make it or not. And yet he maintained up to the very end a voice and an attitude of confidence and of joy and victory. Even in 2 Timothy, his last letter, he writes this testimony to his beloved son. He says, all of Asia, which is whom he spent most of that persecution trying to get the word to, all of Asia has deserted me and fallen away. But you don't hear a man who's discouraged and depressing, then what did I do all this for? Because he didn't do it for them. He did it for his Lord. He says, I know in whom I've trusted. And there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul had learned to live his life with his eyes, not these eyes, but these eyes, not on the natural circumstances around him because they all told him he wasn't going to make it. You know, circumstances speak to you. They have a voice. It's not what happens to you that affects your life. It's what you think about it, what happens to you that affects your life. Otherwise, the same thing happening would produce the same result in everybody. I know the story of a young woman who at the time when, the government, when, when our army left Vietnam back in the early 70s and the North Vietnamese, the communists, came in and took over, this woman, this little girl saw her parents shot in front of her, just right in front of her. And then she was, she was taken into, into camps and beaten and abused and grew up. And, and eventually, and, and, and we knew the family that helped raise her. So it's not some story I've heard, you know, read in a book somewhere. And this young girl made a decision at some point to give her life to Christ and then made a decision she needed to forgive the people that had done that and then made the decision that she was not going to allow what happened to her to determine her future. That now that she was a child of God, that's what determined her future. Not what, not what had happened to her in her childhood. And so she became, I've forgotten what she became. I think she became a doctor and a very successful person in life. Had a happy family life. And was a successful Christian. And yet there are other people that have had far less than that happen to them. And they're still struggling with it. It's still holding them back. So it's not what happens to you. It's what you choose to think about what happens to you. 
I remember when our little, when our kids were little. I think I saw with this every one of our four kids. <clears throat> At some point, they would fall down or stub their toe or, or, or hit their head or something. And I remember one time one of them fell down and 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 you know hit his head like that on the floor. And the first thing he does is look up at me. And, what, and all of a sudden he realized what he's doing. He, he knew it hurt, but he didn't know what to make of this. So he looked to me to interpret it for him. So what I did is I just picked down and I said, whoa. And I don't know what I did. I just made some joke and we went on. And you know what? He never cried. I could have gone, oh, my baby. And he's going to look at me, ah! <laughs> what am I doing? I'm training him how to interpret what's happened to him. Well, we do the same thing with God. And Paul had learned to not be moved by all those things that went around him. Why? Because the secret's in these verses. Therefore we do not lose heart, that even though our outer man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our outward light affliction, and if you want to really look at some of the flat, what that light affliction was, it'll make you feel like you're having a good day on your worst day. But he saw it as light affliction, which is momentary. Well, I mean, he went through this for years. How can he call it momentary? Because compared to eternity it was. Our perspective is so short. We look at the things we go through, and I'm not belittling them, but suppose you suffered grievously for 70 years, and yet you remain faithful to the Lord and faithful to your testimony, and at the end of those 70 years you end up in heaven. You're going to be, have a reward for eternity based on what you went through for 70 years. 70 years is nothing. 80 years is nothing. 100 years is nothing compared to eternity. Our mind can't grasp eternity. Think of, I mean, I'll be 65 this year, and I, it, went, it seems like it's gone like that. This year we married 43 years, and it seems even, even like less than that. Where did it go? You look back, but compared to eternity, it's, the Bible says, hands breath. And yet the things we do in this life, and the things we do for God, they don't earn our salvation. But understand this, the Bible says there's a reward for being faithful. Paul said, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Because Paul was faithful to finish his course in spite of all the opposition. And how could he do that? Because he had the right perspective. Paul walked by faith and not by sight. And here's how he describes that. That's why he could call this a momentary light or temporary affliction. Because it's working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight 
of glory. And this is how he understood this. Verse 18. For while we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. And we've talked about this. How can you... you can, I can understand how you can look not at things that are seen. You just close your eyes. People are good at that. The bills come in. They stick them in the drawer. It's not seen, out of sight, out of mind. Unfortunately, it's not out of the mind of the creditor. It's not out of their mind just because it's out of your sight. But the real trick is how do you look at things that aren't seen? Well, he's not talking about your natural eyes. He's talking about what you pay attention to and what you rely on and what you make your judgments based on. So he said, I've learned in, 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 in living my life to not be governed by what these eyes see. Instead, I'm governed what these, by what these eyes can't see, but it's real. And now chapter 5, he begins to give an example of that. For we know that if this earthly house, this tent, talking about his body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, in this body, we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed we've been clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words, we're always going to have a dwelling place. For who we who are in this tent, this body, groan being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but rather further clothed with mortality, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Notice he doesn't consider mortality life. He considers the spirit realm to be life. He considers this to be temporal, temporary, short-lived, subject to change. And yet it occupies so much of our time, so much of our thinking, so much of our energy is devoted to, and in many cases, wasted upon this realm of existence, which is passing away. And obviously we need to pay attention to it. Obviously we need to pay our bills. Obviously we need to do certain things the Bible tells us to do. But we get it out of perspective. What Jesus talks about in John chapter 6, when he talks about worrying. That whole thing is about what verse 19 says, is about, about what, your, the, what your eye, the eye of your body talks about, you know, if the eye is single. And then he says, if the eye is evil. What he's talking about is, is your physical eyes. If your physical eyes are healthy, then the light that comes in your physical eyes is accurate. And you can trust what you see. But if your eye becomes diseased, like cataracts, so it becomes cloudy in the front, in your, in your cornea. There's light coming through, but you can't trust it because it's distorted. And he goes on and says, in the same way, your heart is the eye of your spirit. It determines the purity and quality of what goes into your inner man. So if your heart is not set on God first then what's going in you is inaccurate. It cannot be trusted. And also what's coming out of your heart. 
So he's drawing this parallel. The eye is the gateway to the physical light to your body, and your heart is the gateway of spiritual light or truth into your soul. That's why Proverbs says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. But then Paul goes, or Jesus goes on to talk about why, how we govern the purity of our heart. And he talks about an interesting thing. It seems like he's changing subject, but he's not. He says, he says the, the Gentiles, he says, therefore do not worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or what you're going to do. For the Gentiles worry about those things. Why? Because they have no covenant with God. But instead, what are we to do? We're to seek first the kingdom of God. In other words, set our heart first on the kingdom of God and on his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. So he's talking about getting your priority of your heart Right, so God is the first thing your heart is seeking. He is the highest value of your heart. He's more important to you than anything else. And then what he goes on and talks about worry. And what he's saying there is when we worry about the natural stuff of life, then we become just like the unbelievers, those that have no covenant with God. They have to worry about it because they don't have a God that's committed to be their source. But we do. So he's saying that when we become like them and we spend our time worrying about what's going to happen to us, whether we're going to be safe and whether we're going to have our needs met and whether the bills are going to be paid, I'm not saying we shouldn't care about those things, but caring about them and worrying about them are two very different things. Worry is when you give your heart to it. When it captures your heart. And what he's saying there is when you worry about these things, what happens is you now allow them to have a place in your heart above God. Because he said, don't worry, I'll take care of you. So when I worry about it, I'm saying, I don't believe you're going to take care of me. I want to see that I'm being taken care of. I want to see. I want to know with a certainty in my senses that my needs are being taken care of. And Jesus is saying when we do that, we're like the Gentiles. And that worry begins to pervert our heart so that those things, we begin to give our heart to those things that we're worried about above our heart. To God, because He said, if you seek me first, I'll make sure your needs are taken care of. Now let's read on in chapter 5. Verse 5. Now He has prepared for us for this very thing as God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. For we're always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. Verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now the word walk there is the word peripetuo, 
which literally means the way you conduct your life. So he's not just saying, talking about how you physically put one foot in front of the other. It's referring to how you conduct your life. So we live our life, we walk through life not governed by, but governed by faith, not governed by what, but by sight. And the word sight there is different word than, uh, than the word vision that appears earlier and later on. It's a word that means appearances. In, in Hebrews 11.1 1, where it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that's a word blepomenon, which, is, which refers to your eye, the function of your eye. So, so we don't walk by, we, not, the thing's not physically seen. But this word means appearances. So we're to conduct our lives based on confidence in what God has said, not by confidence in how things appear. Do you notice appearances change? Did you ever, ever be in a bad mood? <laughs> and then sometime later your mood changes and you're in a good mood. Moods change. Do you notice feelings change? Feelings are fickle. And they'll fool you. But so much of the church walks by our feelings. We feel good today. So we're positive. Because we feel good about ourselves and we're positive, we do the things we're supposed to do. Tomorrow morning I wake up, I don't feel good about myself. So I don't do the things I'm supposed to do. So my life is governed by how I feel about myself. You know where feelings come from? Your thoughts. We're to live our life governed by faith. In other words, with our eyes on that realm, not on this realm. All you got to do is look at the news a little bit. And it doesn't give you hope. It doesn't give you confidence. So what do we do? We dig holes in the backyard and build bomb shelters? Do we stick our head in the sand and or run around like Chicken Little saying the sky's falling down? That's what the world will do because they have nowhere else to turn. But we're the people of God. We're to walk by faith. That's what allows us to walk. That's what Paul says. I walk with confidence. Why am I confident? It's not because of the circumstances in his life, because they were terrible. Why was he confident? Because he knew what God had promised him. He knew what God had promised him. Now, now let's go back to Hebrews. Because I want to show you an example of this. Because Hebrews now is filled with examples. And, we're gonna, and in it are the elements of faith, because that's what I want you to understand. We're going to take faith apart. Let's go in Hebrews 11. Uh, let's go to verse 7. By faith, Noah, you all know who Noah was, being divinely warned of things not seen, 
moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now keep something here in Hebrews 11 and go to Genesis chapter 6. And let's take a look at this story. Let's start in verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Go down to verse 13. Well, verse 9. And this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect or mature in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Verse 13. And, Noah, and God said, and God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. But you make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch or tar. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits which is about 18 inches, with its width 50, 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it in a cubit, to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side and you shall make it lower, you shall make it with lower, second and third decks. And behold, my myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort of the ark to keep them alive with you. You shall bring be a male and female. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. And look at verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Now go back to Hebrews 11. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. So we'll go back to this day. Noah gets up like every other day. And you know, I'm sure you've heard comedians. Do. Bill Cosby years ago did a piece on this was very funny but it kind of brings it alive Noah gets up someday you know and just to him it's like every other day because he's gotten used to how evil things are and this day God speaks to him we don't know how God spoke to him it just says God spoke to him and God said that's important God said I'm going to destroy every living thing but I want you 
to build an ark, which basically is a container. It's a, we know it was a big boat. And these are the measurements, and this is how you're to build it. And you and your family are to go into it, and two of every living creature is to go into it. That's what God said. So here on this day, Noah, standing in his backyard or wherever he is, by the way, you have to understand that it had never rained. The Bible tells us that up until that time, all of nature was watered by, by a, do, a mist coming up and settling. And God says there's going to come a flood water that's going to bury the earth. So Noah has all that he can see. What it looks like is the way it looked like yesterday. And the day before, and the day before, and the week before, and the month before. In fact, all of his whole life, his only experiences are things look basically like this. And now God said to him, build an ark. Noah has a choice to make. And one of the things we're going to learn is faith is not a feeling. Faith is not an emotion. There may be some emotions that go along with it, but if you're waiting to feel faith, you're going to be fooled. You're not subject to the whim of the wind changing direction and faith just suddenly blowing through Faith Christian Center and we're all now people of faith. I say that because I think many Christians underneath kind of have that expectation. They know enough up here not to say it. But it's what you do that proves what you believe, not what you say. Noah is faced with this contradiction. His eyes, his ears, his sense of touch all tell him that everything's the same. It's always been the same. And I have no reason to believe it'll be any different tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day or the next day. But this day, God spoke something. And what God spoke did not line up with what Noah saw. So Noah had to choose between what God said and what he saw. He didn't have to make that choice once. He had to make that choice every day. Because you see, it took years to build that ark. Between the time when God said what he was going to do and when he happened was something like a hundred years. You know you can get discouraged in that time. <laughs> God said something and you're stepping out on it and you're doing it. And you know, and, and you know, and Bill Cosby's story is great because all the neighbors gathered around, you know, they're poking fun at him. Wait, the Bible doesn't say so, but people are people. His wife must have questioned his sanity. Because God didn't speak to her. You, you know, when God speaks to you, 
there's the basis for faith because faith comes by hearing God's word. But when you step out on what God told you, everybody else doesn't have this faith because God didn't speak to them. They're trusting you heard from God. And every day, Noah's got to make the same decision again. And I'm sure by the end of the first week, by the end of the first month, but every day he's got to make a decision that he either believes what God said or he believes what he sees. Now, that first day would have been easy because the, the, the tone of God's voice was still ringing in his ears. God spoke to me. Oh, it was glorious, dear. God spoke to me. What did he say? Well, <laughs> well, you've been talking about taking a cruise. <laughs> I've got some good news and some bad news. You're going to get the cruise you wanted. The bad news is where it's going. <laughs> so he's got that first day when he's still flush with the joy of having heard God's voice. And, you know, when God speaks to you clearly, it's like there's a faith just because God spoke to you. And, wow, you don't care what anybody says. But the next day you get up, that voice is not quite as clear today because it's still a, now it's a memory. And the next day it's not quite as clear. And by the end of the first week, it's, I think I heard right. By the end of the first month, it's, did I hear from God? Because you're out there cutting and you're out there gathering. And nobody's helping you because they don't believe in what you're doing. You've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice between what God said and what your senses tell you, what the appearances look like. And day after day, Noah made that choice. 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 Day after day, Noah made that choice because it was an act of his will. There are times you have to dig your heels in and say, I don't care what I feel like. I don't care what anybody tells me. I'm going to try. See, God spoke to Noah, but God's spoken to you. Sitting in your lap is God's word. The Bible says about itself, it's a more sure word of prophecy than if an angel appeared to you and spoke to you. Because the good news is you can pull it back out and look at it every morning. Noah couldn't do that. And God's made incredible promises in there to you just like he made an incredible promise to Noah. But Noah had to make a decision whether he was going to walk his walk, live his life based on how things looked to him or based on what God said. Somewhere out there, years later, having built this thing, he now collects the animals together. There's still no evidence that what God said was true, other than the faith that Noah had in God, because that faith was the evidence that he needed. Because faith is the substance, the tangibility of things hoped for. The evidence that he had that it was going to rain is God said. Nothing was wet. The clouds were gone. The skies were clear. He had no natural evidence that it was going to rain other than God said. 
And he learned to walk based on what God said and not how things appeared. And that's the same choice that you and I have every day. If you've given your life to Christ, the word of God says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And old things have passed away and all things have become new. Verse 21 says, And he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That means that if you've given your life to Christ, you are in God's eyes as righteous as Jesus. I didn't say you're acting like that's who you are. That's who he's made you to be. Now you can choose to believe that's true because God said so, or you can measure what you're like by your own appearances. So you get up in the morning and you may have, you know, you go to pray or whatever time you go to pray and you kind of feel, you know, well, I've been a good person today, you know. I made the coffee for my wife and I kissed her goodbye and, you know, I prayed this morning and I read my Bible this morning and you go into the day just full of all kind of confidence because you've been, you were a good Christian this morning. Tomorrow morning you oversleep. You're running late. Because you're running late, you didn't pray, you didn't read your Bible. You're a little cranky with her because you're running late. And why didn't you wake me up? And you rush off and now you just, you know, something comes up and you go to pray. It's like, I don't feel quite as confident today to pray. Why? Because your confidence is based on you. And not what God has done for you. Not what God's word says about you. If you're in Christ, you are the righteousness of God because you're in Christ, not because you feel that way. Many mornings I wake up, I don't feel saved. Nowhere in the Bible does it say anything about how I feel. It simply says what he did. Now I can walk my life and live my life based on how I feel or based on what he said about me. Right. Yeah. Dawned on me one day, the Bible says we're saved by faith, right? Well, faith means I believe, faith just means I believe what Christ did for me. Right. And I receive it. That's it. Yep. <clears throat> I either believe that or I don't. And if I evaluate myself on how I feel and how I've acted, then I don't really believe that he did that for me. So faith means I've got to begin to believe what he did for me and govern my life based on what he did for me, not on how I look or the appearances of my life. The Bible says if you call on me, I will answer you. Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. Doesn't say come if you feel bold. Doesn't say if you feel confident, come to me. Because if you need help, most of the time you don't feel confident. We feel confident when we don't need help. We're there to give help. 
So when we're in the most need is when we don't feel the mo any confidence. And that's why you got to do what Pastor Sam used to say. Grab yourself by the back of the neck and you make yourself come in boldly. Because this word says so. So I take that word and I say, I don't care how I feel today. Your word says, see the lawyer in me does, I plead my case. Your word says to me, come boldly to the throne of grace. I'm acting on what you said, not how I feel. So here I am. You know what I discover? The feelings begin to come. They're so fickle. So fickle. I used to, you know, I used to bounce around by what people, the last person said to me. If the last person smiled at me and said, oh, what a, not, not here, but when I was at church before, you know, oh, what a great pastor you are. Oh, I'm doing great. Somebody looked at me and said, pastor, I got a question. Oh, no. <laughs> it was a terrible way to live. It was like these bouncing balls that up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. We're going to look at that probably next time. The Bible calls that being unstable in all your ways. It's double-minded. And it comes from doubting. Because doubt simply means to be of two minds about something. You have a choice in every situation to either take what God said or what it looks like. Faith is when I choose what God said and not what it looks like. Yes. Most times, it will look opposite of what God said. Faith is a choice. Otherwise, he couldn't command us to walk by it. If it was an emotion, in the same way love is not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's a decision. There's the feeling of love, but the love the Bible talks about is an act of your will. Otherwise, it would not be fair for him to command us to love one another. But again, most of us govern where we are and everybody else and all the circumstances by how we feel and how things appear. And yes, feelings are real. I look at this. Feelings are to your emotions like your senses are to your digestive system. God made us, gave us taste buds so that we could enjoy the food that we eat and also help to discern what's safe to eat from what's not safe to eat. But once you discern it's safe to eat, there's some things that are more fun to eat than others, aren't there? Ice cream. Brussels sprout. No. Unless Bill fixes them. He keeps telling me, I can fix them so you'll like them. But my mother made me eat lima beans. I love them now. I, I thought I'd die. I think I told you. I had to eat two of them. And we lived, we, we lived in Philadelphia, and we had Jersey, Jersey lima beans are this big. At least they looked that big to me. We didn't get these baby lima beans. I mean, literally, they're, they're that big. To me, they were this big. I knew I was going to die. I knew I'd choke. 
I, I, wasn't, it, I was convinced if I, if I got that thing, if I swallowed that thing, I was a goner. <laughs> I was. And I had to sit there until uh, I ate two of them. <laughs> but you know what? They're one of my favorite vegetables now because I discovered I could eat them. I discovered this incredible lesson that more and more children need to learn, and many adults. I can actually do things I don't like. Right. <laughs> don't try that at home. It may be, it's not safe to try that at home. <laughs> you can actually do things that you don't like. You can eat things that you don't like the way they taste. In fact, part of maturity is learning to do what's good for you, whether it feels good or not. One of the signs of a child is they make their decisions based on whether it's fun or pleasant. One of the marks of an adult is I do it because it's right, not because I want to or it even feels good. Well, we better end soon. <laughs> we walk by faith and not by our taste buds. We walk by faith and not how it feels. You cannot, you cannot mature and grow spiritually unless you learn to walk by faith. Because the opposite of walking by faith is walking by how you feel and how things appear. The Bible tells us Satan is the God of this world. He controls many of the circumstances. And to walk by appearances is to allow him to govern your life. And many of you have experienced it. You've started to step out in something, and something threatened you. Some fear from your past. Some of you, it's a fear of something. Some of you, it's, it's, it's in, you, people intimidate you. Some of you, you're, you're so concerned with what other people think of you. All of those, I look at them as a leash. I've told you the story of our little dog. Take him down to the beach, and we had this long rope, you know, and I just let him loose on the beach, but he only had about 75 feet he could go because I held the other end of the rope. And some horses went by one day on the beach, and he took off. He forgot that he wasn't free. <laughs> and this was the biggest thing he'd ever, biggest dog he'd ever seen. He was going to chase this dog, went flying after him, and I just picked the rope up like this and sat there. I told him to stop, but he didn't listen to me. He just kept going, and I just sat there. And when he hit the end of the leash, he was reminded he was not free. <laughs> I mean, his little rear end went way out like this and came down in the sand, and he got up like this. He had the illusion that he was free. And there's some of you, the devil keeps telling you your freedom that you got from Christ is only an illusion. That he'll have you bound by that fear, bound by those doubts, bound by whatever, you know what it is, your whole life. And that although you're saved and although you're going to heaven, he's got control of you in this life. So you better not step out for God because he still can pull you back on that leash. We sang a song about overcoming tonight. And the only leash he has on you are your feelings.
because your freedom is through God's word. But there will come a point when what God says you can do and what you say you can do look the opposite. And at that point, you've got to have learned to go by what he says and not how things appear. It may be a doctor's report someday. And the doctor says the very best we can do is make you comfortable. We have no answer for this. And all your mind's going to tell you it's over. And your mind will start talking to you about what all this means, interpreting it. And that's when you've got to have learned to go to God's word and says, I know that's what they say, but God's word says this. God's word says that Jesus bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases, and by his stripes I'm healed. I choose to believe that report. I choose to now walk by what he said. I understand that that's what it appears to be. I'm not denying it appears that way, but I'm telling you there's a greater truth. There's a higher truth. There's an eternal truth. And that truth supersedes and overrides what, they, what it appears. But you learn to do that with the little things, the lima beans of life. The little things of life. And as you do that and that you begin to develop your faith and realize God, you've seen God come through over and over again. It's another reason why it's so important to be thankful. I was in here this afternoon just going back over things. God, I remember when you did this in our life. God, I remember how this looked hopeless and you delivered us out of this. God, I remember being over here and crying out to you about this situation. And within two weeks, an answer came, and it came from a source I never dreamed it would come from. But you've done that for us, God. Amen. What does that do? It begins to bring faith back. Build up, yes, God, look what you've done in my life. Praise God.